Hi, my name is Warner Lewis. Thank you for joining me for Creating Home, a weekly podcast exploring what different successful individuals have done to allow them to find their physical, emotional, and spiritual home. We'll discuss their individual journeys, including disadvantages, roadblocks, adversity, and dead ends, as well as their strategies, successes, and support, which allowed them to overcome obstacles and thrive. When I first thought of creating a real estate-focused podcast, it quickly expanded beyond chatting with past clients and friends about their real estate. While real estate provides my financial livelihood as a New York City real estate broker helping clients purchase and sell their homes for the past 15 years, my passion for it derives from expanding my life through the close relationships that are created during the process of finding a home. Indeed, a home to me is so much more than the physical walls in which we live, but it is also the actions we take to ground ourselves and find peace and acceptance, as well as the people with whom we surround ourselves and who give support and guidance. As we find ourselves spending more time at home these days, I have reflected on my own journey that started with the choice to go into this industry 16 years ago. At that time, I was basically unemployable, alone, deeply depressed, and truly felt that real estate was the last option I had and had avoided because if this didn't work, I felt I was out of options. The act of going into real estate and metaphorically burning the boats behind me and being all in on changing my life has led me to the place where I am today. I have an incredible business partner, Ari Harkov, and we have had one of the top 200 real estate sales teams in the nation for the past five years. I have a loving and deeply accommodating wife and two wonderful and exhausting kids and more true friendships than I ever dared hope for when I was a socially awkward and terrified kid. The hope is that in hearing what these intrepid individuals have gone through to get where they are today will be inspiring to others on their journey to find home and a sense of physical safety, emotional peace, and individual success in this sometimes raging storm of life. If that happens, then the goal of this podcast will have been met. Thank you for joining me today on Creating Home. Today, I have someone who has become a very dear friend, Tatiana De Maria. Um, when I was thinking about this, she is sort of the contrarian that I really wanted to get to talk with because she has led a life that is not textbook. There is no roadmap. And I really enjoy life when there isn't a roadmap but you let your soul and what you love guide you where you want to be. And that is Tatiana. So Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm really excited to digging into this concept of creating home with you. Thanks for such a warm welcome, Warner. And thank you very much for having me. I look forward to chatting. During the pandemic, obviously everyone has been more indoors than before. And since the name is of the show is Creating Home, I'd love just to get a sense of where you are today and where you've been spending your time and uh, sort of your physical locale before we get into the greater sense of what the home you've created in your life. Currently, I am quarantined in New York. I'm in Brooklyn. And it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a change uh, from, you know, I sort of bounce around a bit between London, New York, and LA, um, my family live in England, and I and I work sort of between New York and LA when I'm not touring, and so being in one place and staying put for this long is is definitely something I'm not very used to, but it's something I've wanted for a while. So you know, it's it's one of the silver linings I think of finding any kind of benefit that you can or any positivity in situations like this is going well. You know, staying put, being able to work on the things you've wanted to 
catch up on things and uh, connect with yourself is something I've definitely appreciated. So yeah, enjoying that, exploring Brooklyn, and it's been good. Yeah, sitting still, um, I think you and I share that it's not one of our greater strengths. But, um, and I know from just following you around and sort of doing the where in the, where in the world is Carmen San Diego with Tatiana, you lead a very interesting life where I think you've traveled the globe many a time. And, um, I know for myself, it's been, it's kind of been sc- scary to say the least to be still. I don't like feeling feelings and this has forced us all to feel feelings. And I think it's actually been a, huge positive for a lot of things that need to be addressed or being addressed. Maybe before we get into all of that, because I'd love to know a little bit more about it, I'd love to hear about sort of the young Tatiana and where you grew up um, and the experiences that led you to becoming a recording artist and um, uh, the travails and the successes that you had that gave you the strength to to sort of go at it, go at it on your own and, and uh, you know, become this successful rec- recording star that you are today. I appreciate that. I grew up, well, I grew up in London for a start and then I moved to Paris and I sort of lived in London for the first six years of my life and then moved to Paris for about eight years and then moved back to England. And it was an interesting switch up. And I think each period being in such a solid chunk definitely provided me with, with a different perspective and experience on just what I wanted to be when I grew up or how, you know, how things develop. Um, so when I moved to Paris, I remember being on the school bus every day and the senior kids used to play a lot of punk rock and rap and I loved it. And I was just sitting there and, and I resonated with everything that was being played. You know, you're a kid in the car and you just like what you like. So when I'd love the music my parents were listening to, my dad used to just always play music around the house, just on the radio, it was always playing. And as kids in London, I feel like it was every Sunday, my dad would get us in the car and just drive us around, especially on sunny days, and listen to these just big anthemic hits that were out at the time. So my repertoire of 80s hits goes deep, but then, you know, mom and dad listening to 70s, it was always melodies, and I just felt a lot, I always found a lot of comfort in the melodies. And then when I was, you know, I think there was, there was a lot of moving around, and by the time I moved back to London as a young teenager, I developed a lot of anxiety and there was just a lot going on in life at the time. And there, there wasn't such a sense of stability, which, you know, I wasn't quite clocking myself at 13, 14, but I I actually started going to therapy at the time. And what I found was that listening to music was the only thing that really calmed me down. And I could breathe better whenever I heard just melodies that I resonated with. And so a lot of it was in punk rock, in gangster rap, there was a lot of the adrenaline that matched what I was feeling inside. And there was a lot of perspectives on the world that I was hearing lyrically that I wasn't necessarily seeing or hearing anywhere else. So it became just this fix for me. That all times I was always, I mean, thank you to my teachers who always let me have a headphone in all day, you know, just dealing <laughs> with the annoying kids who are clearly not listening, but I was like, fuck yes. And always, always had some music playing at all times. It felt like oxygen to me, but it was amazing. So I just had such a wonderful relationship with music. And I remember when I had this anxiety, I got to a point where the only thing that made me feel better was at the time, I remember hearing Rancid's Outcome the Wolves and I could just breathe. And it was the first time I had calmed down and felt calm in such a long time. So it was a really innocent beginning for me, just going, shit, like I really want to give people this feeling that I'm getting. 
it seemed so simple and so straightforward, like, holy shit, I've just discovered the cure to everything. Um, just listen to music, listen to shit that you resonate with. So when I started writing music, it was important for me to do that. I would take the feeling I was feeling and play and all the songs I would play kind of had to feel, I had to feel the way I felt listening to the music that I loved when I was playing my own music. And that's pretty much what guided the beginnings um, of what I was making. And I just became a bit obsessive about it. I'd just come home and, and always do that. And it took me a long time to realize that I had synesthesia and that music has a physical effect on me and that there was a reason I was sort of getting a bit obsessive about it. And, and we all do. I don't, you know, a lot of us love music to such a degree. I think m most people out there will say at some point, especially musicians. And, you know, I say this quite often, but I think we all kind of resonate with the idea of at some point music saving our lives, especially those who've gone into music. Can you explain synesthesia? So for those who might not know what it is. Yeah, it's uh, so it's just the crossing of the senses. So um, I guess it started for me with just speaking to a friend and saying, hey, what color is your Wednesday? And my friend being like, what? And I was like, you know, what? like mine's green. And I was just curious what color her Wednesday was. And she was like, do you have synesthesia? I was like, what's synesthesia? So I looked it up and it's the crossing of the senses where there's just a plethora of different outcomes that you can have. The most common one seems to be colors with numbers, um, colors with letters. And then there's, you know, colors with words, days of the week, months. Then there's spatial synesthesia where you kind of see in your head, everything always has a specific orientation, but it's the same colors, for example, or same spatial awareness for life. So my A is always red, my B is always blue, my C is always green. You know, my Monday is always yellow, my Tuesday is orange, my Wednesday is green. So you, it's just a visual, it's just a visual to an input. So you're inputting, you know, a thought of the days of the week or a word, and I'll get a color or a visual or a spatial thing or a physical sensation. And so it's broken down into different, I'm probably doing a terrible job explaining this. Google will definitely <laughs> knock it out of the park. Um, but basically, um, I have the one where I have colors and letters, and then I also have the spatial one and also days of the weeks and again, months and all of that, numbers, um, music and musical instruments. You've probably heard of synesthesia and music where people will see colors when they hear music. So certain notes are yellow and green and blue. Um, and then for me, I get physical sensations a lot. So I have a few different forms of it. And the one that I think is the most prevalent for me with music is, is physical sensations. So I get like a face massage when I hear certain things or I feel tingling in my arms or rubbing on my arms. And I just, I just get these different sensations, which is fun. I didn't realize it was the way I was processing music. I just thought that was how everyone processed everything. So. So it was an interesting little learning curve for me in just accepting, you know, how my brain works and how I am and why certain things had such an attachment. You know, I, I know for me and uh, my biggest tell of when I am in a depressive, anxious state is when I don't listen to music or don't have any interest in music. And I agree wholeheartedly that there's nothing that, that gives me that feeling of flying as hearing good music. And I, I, I love the goosebump sens sensation when a song comes on that I love and I've forgotten about or that I've never heard before. And I can only imagine if I'm getting goosebumps, what you're getting when you're hearing something that's really make resonating with you. 
But it's interesting that you, Wonderful. yeah, it must just be like, I, I, there's words I won't, I, I won't use on air to describe what it must feel like, how good it must be. Uh, but there's nothing better than a goosebump sensation with music. It's, it's the uh, hair standing on end. There's nothing like it. I was very fortunate to grow up. And uh, there was a woman who both my parents were working, who, who looked after us, who was a second mother who always listened to, you know, R&B. So anything from late 70s, early 80s, R&B for me is just my wheelhouse. And for a very waspy looking kid from the Upper East Side, that's not what you would expect. But it just, I, I love it. And I, and I try to translate that to my kids. And I think they're taking quite well to it. And we have some really... Um, interesting and, and laughable dance parties uh on occasion in our household yes no no it's 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 the it's the greatest thing as a parent is seeing your is seeing your kids just kind of lose it and uh as we were talking about before this dance like nobody's watching but you know it, it's interesting that you at such an early age were able to and obviously therapy does help but even self-diagnose to feel anxiety and then have a safe antidote to it and then use that to channel you to where you wanted to go. And I think that, you know, another part of your story is you at a pretty early age became pretty self uh, dependent. And, you know, the, a big through story has been that people who at an earlier age are left to their own devices and do not have things handed to them on a silver platter, much the way that I did, make their mistakes earlier and actually get to know themselves earlier. And oh, one of my most recent guests who is a big youth baseball uh, Svengali, one of his parting bits of wisdom was for anyone in any field, no matter what you're doing, is to know yourself. And I think that being uh, given a lot of freedom at a young age and not having parents' designs for you or society's designs for you, but being left to pick that for yourself is wildly beneficial with someone who is a self-starter like you. And I'd love just to hear a little bit more about you at a young age, maybe having more freedoms than most and, and what roads you traveled that were maybe the wrong ones or, or what uh, things you, would, you did at an earlier age than most people did because you had those freedoms. Oof. Okay, we go, we're going broad, strap on for a very talkative lady over here. Um, well, I think just thinking back to some of the things you said, I think I've been very, very lucky in, in having lovely opportunities and being able to, you know, actually go to university if I wanted to. It's very different in England as well uh, compared to the US. I know that my friends who've grown up in the US who've gone to university, you know, rack up and have to collect. The system here sets you up for whatever it is, 100,000, 250,000 dollars worth of debt that you're spending years paying off. And it's a vast contrast to the UK where, you know, instead of $50,000 a year, we might be spending 10, you know? Um, and so to go to Oxford and Cambridge is vastly cheaper than a lot of universities out here. And yet they're two of the top universities in the world. So I think um, I was very lucky to, to have the opportunities. Also, you know, I know that my parents worked very hard to provide for their family. And I was very, very lucky to to have um, a lot of opportunity growing up. And so I, th I think it was, it was an interesting balance. It started out for me with, as I was talking about having anxiety and, and ironically, I actually have a song coming out in a week's time called Anxiety on July the 10th. 
not sure when we'll be airing this podcast, but it delves into the feeling of being in that. And so the reason I go back to that is to say, there was always something in me that pulled me to music. And I had a deep love and interest for particle physics and astrophysics. And I, in my head, wanted to go and study the depths of the human existence of particles, of energy, of expansion, of everything that that we can't see of the micro world as well as you know where we came from just all the mind-bending questions because i'd often felt super claustrophobic on planet earth thinking you can't get off you're on a fucking rock in the middle of space but you can't get off this is it so whenever i would feel down i would just be like well there's nowhere to go other than this you've got to make it work here so i say that to say that in a way i just i kept sort of going down that path but i always had this solace in music and i always kept getting pulled back into it. And so when I was 14, I remember the struggle of starting bands. So I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to write my own songs and just, just be able to keep that autonomy where I can write and do what I want. And I don't have to be dependent on other people, which is actually something that remains true today. Um, there are huge artists, huge people who are turning their teams over very, very frequently because finding creative partners or the right partners, and I'm, you're aware of this in any field, is hard. We're very complex creatures as humans. So anyway, it kind of, I would come home from school and I would just write all day. And I had a lot of time to do it because I was living alone fa fairly young. I was at home, but everybody kind of just, it's funny, I, I was, I'm the youngest of four, but everybody else flew the coop, including my parents before I did. So I ended up having a lot of this time. And so I think what had happened was dealing with the anxiety and dealing with the music being that outlet sort of felt more like a survival mechanism. I kept turning to it because it was where I could center myself. It's where I could find the calm. And there are actually, I found with a lot of people, we do this, we have these things that are our hobbies or our interests or deep things that bring us deep joy. And sometimes it's healthy to leave them as a hobby and not tarnish them with, you know, making them your life. But if you can find that balance where you're able to do it for a living and enjoy it, and still maintain other hobbies or maintain an element of joy in it or be careful how you structure it. I really do believe in following your joy. And I think that's kind of just what I did without realizing it on such a, this is what I'm going to do for a living level. I just followed my joy and what made me feel centered because I was so desperate to feel okay at the time that I kept working on my music and logging a lot of hours. I would come home and just, I wouldn't turn the lights on. I'd be alone at home. I'd go upstairs. I'd plug in and play my guitar and sing for four or five hours a day. And I did this for years. I drove my neighbors mad. But um, in doing that, I kept developing my craft. And then I sort of came to 16, 17. And I was like, well, I wanted to be making cash. And I was like, I th we've, <laughs> in my family, everybody just goes into their corner and everybody likes to work very hard. And I grew up with a, with a father that works a lot. And I'm very, very much like him. I think we all inherited his just workaholic nature. I never really learned the kind of balancing act of it until later in life when I was really forced to because I burnt out. So with that said, I found myself at 16 going, I want cash. And so I was going out, I was clubbing and I decided to promote nightclubs, you know, lied about my age, was like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm whatever age you want me to be cool. But I'd be making 10 bucks a head from bringing people to clubs and I'd bring 80 people in a night and I just would socialize a lot. So I'd be making bank and it was great. And I'd be doing this three, four nights a week. Um, but at the same time I was in high school. So I'd have to then, you know, I'd stay up all night clubbing, rah, 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 whatever. 
and then I'd go to school the next day. So I started, you know, my attendance, I was always just a bit in and out, let's say. But at the same time, I very much enjoyed what I was studying. I loved sciences. I love maths. I loved what I was studying. But at the same time, you know, I was a kid with dreams and ideas and I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a bunch of money and I wanted to buy a bunch of gear and I wanted to just have fun. The things that as a teenager, I had a certain level of autonomy so I could do a bunch of things, but I didn't necessarily have the cash to match it. So I was doing that and and it was fun. I used to take a portion of my earnings at the end of the night. I'd go to the casinos in Leicester Square, went to the Hard Rock Casino. <laughs> I'd put a little budget down. I'd go, okay, let's go for tonight. Even if it was small, it was 20 quid. I'm going to play roulette. I would play the columns, you know, 66% chance of winning. If you go two columns, let's go collect some cash, go home, put it in an envelope. That's how we funded one of our tours. You know, so it was just, it was a fun game and it was a lot of just exploring. And I had that freedom. You know, in England, you can, you drink a lot younger, you can go out a lot younger. There's just a lot more to play with in a way without getting into such heavy trouble that you would out here in the US, I guess. You know, I'm not getting a criminal record for sitting on a corner with a beer at the age of 18. So, and you can drink in public. So anyway, that's sort of beside the point, but it was a very, very freeing experience. And I got to poke a lot of the world and explore. And what I found was in doing all of that, it came time to, you know, apply to universities. And I knew I wanted to go into nuclear and particle physics, but I was not, at the time at school, I, I didn't, I just had a teacher that I was not, I was not vibing with and it just wasn't good. I had one teacher that was cool and the other, and I think it's so important to have teachers that you can really learn from, vibe with, um, and they can, they can make or break a subject. So with that said, I loved it, but I was also at a time where I'm going, look, this is the situation at school and, and I'm also recording music. So I'm out promoting nightclubs, but every day I come home from school, I'm making music. So I had these sort of three paths. I had this nightlife stuff, which was a lot of fun. I had making music every day when I came home and then I had school. And so, you know, I think what was interesting was not realizing what I was balancing. Now, you know, in life balance is so important. And as an adult, you think, shit, let's really focus on where your time is going. I didn't, hadn't learned that concept. So with all of that said, and forgive me for being so long-winded, I came to applying to universities and I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, I've already started recording an album. I was 16 and I had written this album called Soho Lights. I'd written the bulk of it and I'd started recording it. That's a whole other story of, you know, finding people on how I can, hey, you know, meeting a friend and I knew his dad was in music and how can I get demos made and what can I do? And so asking, going out into the world and just saying, what can I do? And just having enough drive and excitement about it, you know, and enough gumption in youth to think, well, fuck yeah, this is the right thing to do. We don't have fear at that age. Not for, not for our dreams, at least, or at least I, I didn't. And I, maybe I'm lucky in that way. And so I just went out and asked what I could do, got some demos made. So at this point I'm 16 and I've, I've got these tracks. I have then had an amazing manager come on board who had been vice president, president of Sony, head of Polydor, who had managed Paul McCartney for seven years. And he's like, I want to manage you. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I guess we're here now. You know, so now I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm making music. I have this great manager. And so I started recording more and more. The nightclub scene was great, except I started to burn out a bit. You know, I was going out all the time and I was just doing what kids do and doing too much of what kids do. And so at a given point, I actually stopped everything. And I was like, stop drinking, stop doing everything. And 
took a step back from that whole thing and went, I'm just going to focus on music because it was, it was moving me. It was where I found most joy. Things were going well. And at the same time I was, you know, in school and I had A-levels coming up. And so what I did was we started releasing singles with the music. At school, I sort of decided what I was going to do. I ended up getting into the uni I wanted to get into, which was cool to do chemistry and law, which was a bit of a pivot. I was like, I'm going to do this and then come back to physics later. But it was something I could kind of do whilst balancing everything else. You know, going out and getting blasted and partying so much, definitely, you know, when I took a step back and was just like, I don't want to do, I was losing too much control. Anxiety was creeping back in. Um, things were getting difficult. And I was by myself at this point in London. And I, it was sort of the closest thing to a burnout the first time I would have experienced that in life where I had severe anxiety again and it was bad and it was every single day. And in my final year of school, I was suffering with tremendous anxiety. I would wake up every morning and just be super dizzy, super nauseous, super anxious, stomach in knots, and I would play music on the radio and it was the only thing that could calm me down. So I was playing music and if a song didn't work within 10 seconds, I was like, change. So it was kind of this radio game with myself every morning, flipping the radio, flipping the stations. But in that year of feeling it, I, I just started looking for things that made me feel better, that would bring me peace. And what that actually did by default was take me away from a lot of the stuff that I suppose maybe people do in university or would have done or partying and really got me to focus on my music. So I feel like I got a lot of the partying out of my system quite young and it made room for me to go cool. I feel like I've done that. None of that feels new to me anymore. I don't feel the urge, but I've made some decent cash, bought some decent gear, and now I can focus on my passion and the thing that truly brings me joy um, from a pure place. And I was lucky that things started to move forward. So I made the choice at that point to really make that my focus. Came time to choose between university and music, really. I was like, well, what am I going to do? I started releasing things in the UK. Um, my first two singles charted in the UK, which was great. Um, and I was like, oh, well, things are going really well. So if I go to university, I'm going to have less time. So I took a gap year. In that year, in that gap year, I just took on a lot more, started to release more music, was very lucky to have more success in it and just decided to commit to it and actually not go to university. I felt like I had gotten my independence or at least been able to experience independence experience the partying, experience a lot of things that I think are the reasons you go to university if it's not for the, the actual diploma. And I knew that the degree itself wasn't the thing I was looking for at that time. Um, and I knew that I had already felt like I'd gotten what I needed on it from a social element, that it was okay and felt safe to pursue what I wanted to pursue without missing out on stuff. And um, I remember you speaking to some of my teachers at one point and we were talking about things we wanted to do. And I was saying, look, at this point, in terms of actual jobs, in terms of making a living, you know, if I land in a position where I'm designing a new mobile phone, you know, or I'm designing a new piece of tech and that's my life, I was like, that, that could be interesting if I went into that or if I went into something that was a bit more manual. But really what I'd love to do is either crack the fucking mysteries of the universe, which may not happen in my lifetime, but I can do that peacefully as I read. And I always wanted to grow a long white beard, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, I mean, I could shave when I hit 50 and see how far <laughs> I get. But, and, you know, now we have all sorts of treatments. But the point is, I was either like, look, I'd love to end my life as, as a mad physicist. But in the meantime, what I would love to do is 
enjoy that exploration, enjoy the progression of science. But while I'm young and I have this energy and I have this fire in me, I want to make music because instead of giving someone, you know, if I, like I said, it seems like an hour approach, but if I just ended up at a company where I was designing something or making something, um, as opposed to what I truly felt, which was reminding people how they felt when they were 20 and naked and running through a field or connecting those parts of the brain that make you remember things, nostalgia, just feelings. I think feelings were so potent to me that I was like, I, I kind of want to tap into that. And I think that's more the value I want to provide in my lifetime if I can than anything that sort of fits into the material world. So that's kind of where I found my answer. I just went, okay, fuck it, let's do it. And I was very lucky to have the opportunity I had at that age to actually do the touring. I mean, with suddenly touring with The Offspring and playing this arena where I used to go as a kid in Paris and now I'm playing the arena and, and it was really wonderful. So there was a lot of great opportunity and it seemed like a path. You know, I sort of started making music because it made me feel better. I kept going down this path. It was almost a survival mechanism that turned into joy, turned into the thing I couldn't live without, turned into what felt like a purpose, seemed to make sense. And then you become a little bit older, you leave school, you go, right, now I'm doing it for a living. And in a way, this support that you had of going to school every day, the regularity of it, you know, people who you can see, some accountability in life, et cetera, et cetera, disappears. And now you're really just floating and you're going, right, you've chosen to do this, fucking go do it. So now I'm, I'm an, in my early 20s and I don't have structure in my days. I don't have a huge team. Uh, we st I'm still building my band. My manager, who was so wonderful, um, retired from management and moved back to Brazil with his wife. And basically, I was like, huh, the music industry's changing. I'm in a really good place, but I don't have a manager. I don't even know how to find a manager at this point because the music industry's changing so much. You know, no one knows what to do with all the online stuff. People are still scrambling. So I was like, look, I know I want to play the U.S., so let's figure out a way to do this tour in the US. And it all sounds like, in a way, telling it, it seems like a story and I'm, I'm glossing over a lot of things, but to really focus on the nuggets, I think something I really, really had to learn was to balance because part of the reason I was doing all of this stuff was because I was very obsessive about it and so driven. And I would just, again, write for hours every day in the dark. I would just follow my gut. I wanted to do something, I would do it. You know, I, I wanted to go play the U.S. Um, I decided that one night and we managed to make a connection with someone who could get us on this tour. I spent the next two weeks, didn't sleep, just got us visas and made sure we could do it. And a lot of it was just blind drive a lot of the time. And eventually, by the age of 24, I actually burnt out quite badly. And that was also an experience to, to realize that, you know, left to your own devices, there are pros and cons to it. You know, in a way, there's... I've encountered a lot of people who'll say things to me like, well, you, you had so much freedom, you could do whatever you wanted. You were lucky. I had these parents saying these things. And on one hand, I'm thinking, well, that's really cool because I craved the structure. So where you got rules, I didn't have any in a way where you had parents, to some respect, I didn't in terms of that sort of accountability or that, that structure that that unit can provide. And it's something that I wanted, you know, that I feel could have helped me in certain ways. I also think that it really forces you to live and die by your own hand in a way. You know, I come from, from a background where I have Lebanese parents who are also quite, were quite conservative in some respects. So me deciding that I was just 
you know, already being heavily into punk rock and gangster rap and then making music, they were like, okay, cool. Like she's doing what she's doing. I'm lucky to be the youngest of four where, you know, they'd raised a bunch of kids. The youngest always gets the most freedom. Let's be honest. So, so I had a bit more freedom, let's say, than my older siblings. And so, you know, it, it, there was a lot of figuring out to do. And so it's really easy to just decide you want to do something and be just blindly driven and go, go, go. But then you do burn out. And then what do you do? You can lose love. I lost my love for music. I lost my love for playing. I just developed a debilitating frustration, fear, anxiety around the thing I loved the most. And I did what none of us want to do, which is fucking hate the thing you love. And that took me a long time to come out of and actually set me on a new journey, on a new path. And what I did was I got into meditation in my early 20s and I got frustrated that as a human, you can't go to one person who can tell you everything about your body or about your mind or about your everything. And I was like, why am I going to a stomach doctor? And then I have to go to a fucking gut doctor. And then I have to go to an acupuncturist and then a fucking hypnotherapist and then a this and a that. I was like, what is the, you know, and then you've got the head and the mind and the body are all completely separate. The things are what they are. I think looking at a journey, you know, I can say this was a right path. This was a wrong path. This led me here. This led me there. And I think hindsight is always twenty twenty. We can always look back. We can always see the results after the fact. But that was a bit frustrating to me. And so I, you know, I realized that a lot of what we do, in fact, everything we do as humans is interpretation. We are interpreting machines. And so looking at a situation now, one of the things I've gotten more comfortable with is not seeing something as a positive or a negative off the bat and really distilling it down to what it is. There are very few facts in the world. Most things that we discuss are interpretations. You know, I, you could be a great example that I like um, of Jim Fortin's is you're driving down the street, we're driving on a motorway, you see a car in front of you, they're in the way, and then they slam on their brakes and you slam on your brakes. And the first thing you think is, fuck that guy, you fucking moron. Why are you slamming on your brakes in the middle of the motorway? You go around them, you want to give them the finger and tell them to go fuck themselves until you realize they stopped because there was a pile of puppies in the middle of the motorway and they braked because they didn't want to squash the puppies. And you go from, fuck you, you're a piece of shit to, oh my God, the puppies, wow, you did the right thing. And we can completely flip our beliefs and completely flip our interpretations on a dime. So what I found is that what's really helped me is looking at every situation from the truth and trying to, to really clear out as much interpretation as I can in any situation. Something can always be seen as good or always can be seen as bad off the bat. But I think if we look at everything and look at it for what is, um, it's easier to make choices based on where we want to end up. And we're able to make more choices than we think when we really distill things down to the truth and we don't get caught up and marred in our own interpretations. I think that makes it harder to make decisions. I think it drains a lot of energy and it leads us more to places like burnout because we've attached so much emotion to these right or wrong decisions instead of saying that was just an interpretation. And actually, if I stop and think about it, I could have, looked, I could have found seven different outcomes for the same choice. We just generally think something is choice A or choice B. Tatiana, you, you have touched on so many things. And I, I, mean, I, I have literally just got a list of things that you brought up for me. And the thing that, that to me is the most impressive, and I'm someone who has suffered from anxiety from mild to crippling my whole life. And what I've found and what has been my Achilles heel and what you 
persevered through is usually when I get very anxious, I will just stop. I don't want to do anything. I want to curl up in a ball until I am sure that everything's okay and the moment has passed and I'm safe and then I'll get up and get going again. And what's so impressive about you and your journey is that didn't happen. Obviously, you did burn out a few times and have to take a break. But every time you got anxious, you dealt with it. You sat with it. You did music with it. And, um, you know, there's a few things and I love the astrophysics part of it. And it made me think of one of my favorite quotes ever. And so I pulled it up and I want to read it to you. And it is, you are a ghost driving a meat covered skeleton made from stardust riding on a rock floating through space. Fear nothing. Yeah. And to me, that's you. That, that is basically you. That is the astrophysicist who's doing music, who is riddled with anxiety and is fighting her way through it. And, but the big thing is she's not lying down and you're willing to push through or go through things that others, myself included, have avoided. And my biggest issue has always been the more I avoid, the more pain and fear I feel versus feeling the feelings. Because I remember, God, right out of college, I wanted to go to live in Sweden. And my shrink said to me, well, that's great, Warner, but you're still going to be Warner just only in Sweden. And because I really did feel that going to Sweden, all of a sudden my troubles would change. Gosh, I feel you. And, and, and the, the things that I'm dealing with, it, situations are situations. It's all reaction to it that, that really defines us. And for so many years, my reaction was avoidance. What can I avoid? And by doing, by avoiding, my anxiety just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse around things. I mean, I still remember having nightmares or dreams of, I hated driving because I have no sense of direction. Literally none. Like the worst you've ever met. So have driving a car for me was miserable. And I would have dreams about the car sort of driving off in the sunset and I'm here and the car driving away and I don't know where it is and it's going to get lost in an accident. And then all of a sudden, much like you did with music, um, I my son is born and he really wants to play baseball and I love baseball and thank God for GPS. And now all of a sudden I'm whipping and driving all over the city and wondering why it was I was so scared for so long of something that wasn't a big deal. But I truly was. And my problem was I didn't face it. And so what I take from your journey is someone who has the, the, the gumption, chutzpah, whatever you want to say, to face fears and face anxiety and go through it. And, um, you know, I, I, there obviously is a young age, it's impossible to understand moderation. Um, I shouldn't say that. I think there are some people, but they're few and far in between. But it's just, you know, I'm just, there's a, when you say that you are anxious, to me, the thought of you being anxious is like the thought of Michael Jordan being scared to take a game winning shot. It just, it blows my mind. But it also, it just shows the strength of your character. And that, you know, it's not only you or me can come over, can get over things, it's other people, but the big thing is facing it. And that's what you seem, seem to have done time and time again. And I mean, there, there, there is so much to unpack. I, I don't even think I have the ability to do it um, in less than a few hours. But, but for me, the, the really big takeaway from you is, is facing your fears and fi finding is a combination of facing your fears, facing your anxiety, but being led by what you love and 
using that as the guiding light to get you through tough times and tough places? Well, you know, you you made me think a couple of things actually from what you said there, which is, um, you know, when I when I was having a lot of anxiety, I looked. At, I had a bass player who had suffered from anxiety. He was a few years older than me, and he was like, "I still suffer with it, but I bear it." And I remember thinking, "I can't, I can't do that. I can't live like this for the rest of my life." And I feel like I did lie down and I did give up a lot. It's what it felt like to me, and and I think I did, you know. And I and I also want to encourage anyone who's got any anxiety out there to know that it's okay to stop. I refused to stop, you know. And at one point, I had to stop for an entire year. It got to the point where I just I needed to do nothing for a year, and I was very lucky that I'd done some commercial gigs and could could do that. But I remember at the time feeling so weak and having people say to me, you're just such a strong person and going, what? Because I felt so lost and so out of it and kept having people come up to me and say how together I seemed to have it. And in school, this is something a lot of people don't know about me. You know, People don't know that I, I suffered from anxiety. And it's not because I was such a G about it. It's because I think when I was there, I it was the small amount of joy I got and also at the time, there was a lot more stigma around it. So something I'm trying to do as well these days is, and with my song that's coming out, is open more discussions and work on the huge movement that there is and just play a small part in it if I can, of destigmatizing anything about mental health. And what I did was I became so relentless in how to balance. I was like, I have a very demanding career and this seemed to go across the board. I was doing all the business. I was doing all the music. You and I obviously met in real estate. So that's, that's also... a a different part of life that I was also encountering and experiencing. And so what I found was that I got relentless on, this is not the way I want to live. How can I fix it? And actually I got very, very passionate and very, very deep into wellness, into meditation, into how the brain works, into why, 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 why the fuck do we feel like this? And so what I would say is I like, very, I like the, the, the quote of saying that it's not about being fearless. It's not about the absence of fear. It's about having courage and it is about facing your fears. But I think that's very easy to tell people and it's very hard to do. And I used to, I couldn't get on planes. I couldn't get on trains. There was a point where I was, it was such debilitating anxiety. I didn't leave the house for a couple of months at one point. So it's not that I would get up every day and go, fuck yeah, I have courage. Let's go. I didn't have the courage actually for a long time. I would, I had to push myself and I realized I had a lot of courage in times that I hadn't realized. But at this point I felt defeated. And so what I did was I searched for everything under the sun that could get me out of it and became a very avid learner in the subject of optimization, which I think is again, a huge movement. Now everybody wants to know how they can work more efficiently, how they can have more energy, how they can get better sleep. We make these new year's resolutions every year. And by the end of January, a lot of them fall apart. And so I got sort of further into just rewiring your subconscious, how your subconscious drives your behavior and going, okay, these changes do have to come from the inside. And the reason I'm saying all of this is to say, if you have a company, you have 8,000 people under you, under you, and you have to shut the company down, 8,000 people lose their job, you have a tremendous amount of anxiety. You failed. It's the end of the road. This is it. Like you're losing everything. By the same account, if you're a, a farmer and you have a goat and two cows and a sheep and you sell wool, milk and cheese and your cows and your sheep and your goat get sick, you're also losing everything. And the human emotion of being in both of those shoes is that the bottom is being pulled out completely and it's the end. It's the end of the road. You're now panicked. You don't know what to do. What the fuck am I going to do, right? So the human emotion is the same across the board. And it's, for me, how can we 
have these demanding jobs and still navigate in good health and still find the joy. So it is about courage, but it's also about developing the tools to actually exercise that courage. We can fall in love with the notion of courage and yet still be debilitated. We can fall in love with the notion of courage and go, but I've told myself to believe in myself, but I still don't believe. You know, you've got all the good intentions in January. Why do you stop? Because subconsciously, you are still the same person that you were. And this whole hard drive of information, which is operating thousands and thousands more bits of information than your conscious mind every second is actually driving you. So I think really going back to the drawing board and working on myself is what has really helped me balance and maintain. And what I found is that in doing that work, I would say, you know, when we talk about finding home, very easy to think of it as a physical space. And like you said, when you, you moved, you were still Warner in Sweden. And I did that and I, I was moving every two weeks and realizing I was taking myself everywhere I was going. And home, yes, is where the heart is. But I think to go one step further is home is to me making peace with my existence in the present moment. And to do that, I think learning to love ourselves. And I think loving yourself is the most powerful place you can operate from and the safest place to operate from. We are raised to seek outside validation. Men are raised as young men to, you're strong and you're cool and you're there. And they're like, yeah, I'm strong. And I'm women, you're beautiful. And, yeah. and so you think those are the attributes that give you value. And you add to those, you add to those, you become an adult. And here you are relying on the same shit you were told when you were four years old. And just finding people to tell you that you're beautiful, or you're smart, or you're strong, or you're whatever the fuck. And, and we all know, you know, that falls into the category of, of the ego and how we identify. And we become so attached to this identity that anything that veers from the identity causes us pain and is fearful. So I think letting go of that and making peace with who you are and learning to love yourself as you are, to me, is more of a feeling of home than any physical destination I can find. And what I found is that when I love myself and I honor my experience, so let's say you and I are texting Warner, right? And you never, you don't get to back to my texts in, you know, three, four days. And we're trying to do this real estate and I'm finding frustration working with you. I'm like, man, Warner is, he's a bit slow and he's not really delivering. It's frustrating. At that point, I'm now experiencing a bit of frustration. And yet a lot of the time we keep people like that in our lives. We keep working with these people. Now, sometimes we're in institutions and structures where we don't have much of a choice. But actually, when we look at friends, when we look at the people around us, yes, there's a certain element of compromise and balance in life, but we do become quite self-sacrificial. We do find that, you know, yeah, well, I'm supposed to be stronger and I'm supposed to be more chill. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes loving yourself is saying, I don't like it when these kind of interactions happen. I don't like feeling stressed with the people I work with and deciding it's okay for you to make a change or it's okay for you to be 100% you and let people, if they don't like that, to fall by the wayside. I think all too much what we do is go, no, 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 I need to change so that, so that I, these people like me and those people like me and I can keep this job and I can keep that job instead of just saying, this is how I feel, this is how I'm gonna show up come what may. And I think that that gives us a lot of power and it enables us to balance what we're doing. And I say this across the board, you know, this isn't just about being creative. This is about choosing my business partners. This is about choosing how I'm going to best manage my time. This is choosing to not spend most of my week in stress and frustration, draining my energy 
on things that aren't aligned. And so I think when you find that love for yourself and you honor yourself, you're able to find people that you resonate with. You're able to find a tribe that recognizes the same interests, the same way of behaving, the same moral structure, the same, I hate to say it, beliefs and interpretations, because at this point, that's what we're, that's what we're going with. You know, we can challenge our own interpretations and beliefs, but this is where we're going. And, and finding that solace and joy in that existence. And to me, that's, that's where I found home. I found it with my family and I love them, but also, you know, I'll spend two months with them and that's a lot to spend time with family. I still need to find a place where wherever in the world I am, and because I travel so much, I always need to feel centered. And so I need to, needed to find my own center and that helped me. I haven't had anxiety in 10 years. I worked on many different things. I found many tools, which some of which I'm going to be sharing through this month of July online to go with my single anxiety and, and help open that discussion and conversation and share assets. But I, I did a few things. I worked on just rewiring my subconscious, rewiring my brain, treating myself better, eating better, all sorts of things. But it was a long journey and, and I haven't looked back and it's been wonderful. And the most, most intense learning curve I think I faced was that making peace with all of it and really understanding the negative behaviors that come as a human in any field. <laughs> Tatiana, you, you basically hit and nailed everything I could possibly hope for. And it's funny because I had no idea of any of this when I was thinking of having you on. I had no idea you were doing this amount of self-work and that the timing is kind of perfect with your single coming out and all these things that you're looking about. And I think that you know, you, you have summed up so much of what I've learned at a much older age. And, and that is, A, if I don't know myself, I'm completely screwed. And I know at this point, the going out, drinking, partying, what have you, I, can't, I just can't do it. I know that I need a few basic things. I need to sleep well. I need to eat well. I need to be reading a good book. And I need to, more than anything, which is new for me, be compassionate with myself. And it was funny, I was running yesterday and I was listening to um, Seneca or the teachings of Seneca. And one of the things that uh, in one of his letters was give up all hope. And when I heard that, I was like, hmm, let me think about that for a second. And it wasn't in the fact of giving up all hope, just don't do anything, but it was giving up all hope that things might play out in any specific way. Thus, just do what is right time and time and time again, choose wisdom and virtue over rhetoric and just keep doing the right thing regardless of who's watching and the adulation that might come from it. And through those actions and through not controlling or trying to control outcomes, but control your output, not the outcome, yes. happiness comes. And for me, um, and this could be a whole nother thing. I, I, I realize still to such a degree, I am governed by the young boy who tried to make his father not depressed, tried to do the same for his mother, tried to protect his brother, i.e. try to fix everyone to get what I needed. And I'm 45 now. And, and I, I should, should have known years ago that it's a much easier to just find the people who can be what you need them to be than to try to fix others because that will never happen. And so, you know, I, I, the self-work you've done, the just the understanding and acceptance of, in a simple way, life on life's terms and being okay with outcomes. 
is the freedom that I am still searching for. I, I'm much better than I have been. I'm actually shocked in the three, three and a half months since uh, really things fell apart. The amount of things that went wrong in the first week for me that I thought would kill me actually have liberated me because I was forced to sit with them and realize that, my God, losing an amount of money I couldn't have imagined losing, I'm still alive. Uh, finding out that my relationships, important ones I can be better at, that's actually good to learn I can be better at them instead of just being mm -hmm. terrified of them not being where they should be. And, uh, and being accepting the fact that I, I don't have, I have control over one person and one person only, and that's me. And that doesn't mean I can't be there to help others, but I need to be there to be compassionate for myself. And if I can be compassionate for myself, I can be great with others. If I'm going to be terrible to myself, I'm going to be terrible to, other, to others. So I'm so impressed by the fact that such a much younger age and because you've hit the wall so many times, you got into doing this work and really dove into it. And, and at such a high, high intellectual level, took this on and are now actively trying to help others. And that's really, I mean, I have a very small platform compared to yours. And it just makes me so happy to think that there's one person out there that could glean something from our conversation that it could help them. And I know that you're going to do so much work to help so many people. And really, the, the greatest strength is in being vulnerable. And that's what you are doing. And what I realized, thankfully, a few years ago is speaking about what scares me makes it a lot less scary because I'm not hiding anymore. And, um, you know, I, you, you've hit every single thing I could have hoped for and more. Obviously, I'd lo love for you to tell us more about the, the single album, future tours, and any, if there are any not-for-profits or any foundations or movements right now that you're behind, and then give a last few words of wisdom to uh, listeners out there that, you know, might help them and whatever they're going through. You're, well, you're far too kind. Thank you. I have a song called Anxiety coming out in a week's time. It's an acoustic version of Anxiety, and I'm going to be releasing an acoustic EP throughout the summer. I've um, been doing these lives through quarantine just to keep people entertained and have fun uh, once a week. And it's, it's just been a lot of fun, and I really wanted to be able to put something out that reflected that time of just playing acoustically live. So I've got those coming out, which I'm excited about. And then um, I've got a lot more coming in in autumn, in the fall as you would say. So there's going to be albums, there's going to be EPs. Um, I've done a movie soundtrack, which will be coming out then too. So a lot of stuff I'll be announcing. If anyone wants to come find me, feel free at Tatiana De Maria. And in terms of parting wisdom, gosh, I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I just feel like I'm fumbling my way through life like a soul here. Um, so I, I don't know, but I will say that something I do try and do, um, which I think applies across the board as well, is to live from a place of desire instead of circumstance. And what I mean by that is we can get caught up in a day. If you wake up in the morning, you have a million emails, you have a million things to do, and you just go straight into doing them and you answer everything, you get everything done. And that happens every day. You realize that your emails are actually dictating where you, what your life looks like and where you're going to end up. And something you do repeatedly Every day, every week will turn into your months, will turn into your year. And at the end of the year, the outcome will be whatever you've done. And if you've followed the trail of emails by the end of the year, you would have followed the path of doing your emails. And so I think what I found, which ties into 
finding yourself or loving yourself or a sense of home or a sense of being centered is really spending the time, which I thought I had done, but I hadn't done, you know, years ago when I started this journey was, was really sitting down and going, what do I want my life to look like for real? And taking the time every year to really look at that and really getting to know myself and going, how do I want my days to look? And how can I ensure that if I have these goals, they're actually met? Because if I just wake up and follow the trail of emails every day and just do my emails, I don't have the time to write songs. I don't have the time to work on my production. I don't have the time to do these other things I want to do because I haven't designed my life that way. And I think designing your life for what you want is very, very important. And I think stopping and really asking yourself what you want, what gives you a sense of purpose or what even makes you feel like you matter and not what you, how you should matter, but truly how you feel you matter and how you can implement that into your life and get joy and what your life looks like when you do that. And then every day, you know, design your day, design your week, set your goals for every 90 days to make sure that you're on track. So that at the end of the year, when you look back, you worked from a place of desire and what you truly wanted and who you wanted to be and how you wanted to show up instead of letting the world dictate it for you. And at the end of the year, finding that you, you know, lived by whatever came your way. And I think that's something I, I strive to try and work on every day still. And, you know, I, life is another school. I'm certainly, all the things I've spoken about today are things I try and implement and learn. And even if I've been doing them for 12 years, it's still, still work, still doing it but really trying to come from a place of authenticity. And I think knowing myself is the strongest place I can come from. So I would just say whatever we can do to do that um, will bring us most peace, I'd like to think. Uh, I can't thank you enough. It's so, you've blown my mind. We've known each other for a little while now. We've always had fun hanging out, cutting it up, joking, and thinking of just the stereotype of an artist. And now you bearing your soul and having that scientific process, which I would never imagine for an artist being part of it, is pretty amazing to hear about and to witness and just how you broke down, you know, just the importance of pressure over time towards whatever goal you have and putting in the time, putting in the work and having a schedule that you stick to. I'm not very good at that. My business partner is incredibly good at it. And I've just seen through watching him and everyone who's successful is that they have a goal and then are willing to put in the work consistently to get there because no, there is no such thing as an overnight success. People might think there is, but there isn't. And um, you couldn't have laid it out any better. I am so grateful that you had the time to do this today. I am so excited to stay in touch and to learn more about the beautiful mind of Tatiana De, De Maria. Um, because you've kind of blown my mind today because I did not know that all of this was already such a central part of your life and the work that you're doing. In my mind's eye, you're just on the Red Bull tour, kicking ass and taking names. I cannot wait to, to see you soon. And now that since you're in Brooklyn and I love walking all over the place, we'll definitely get a coffee, if nothing, if not something more substantive uh, sooner rather than later. And Again, just thank you so much. Congratulations on all, all your success and for just being the incredible person you are. And I look forward to speaking to you very soon. Thank you so much, Warner. Thanks for having me on. And um, yeah, I look forward to catching up soon.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Home. While we all face this new and uncertain world, I find it inspirational and reassuring to learn of our guests' journeys from around the country, and I hope you do too. Join us next week as we continue to learn what goes into creating home.